Ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You may be seated, and good morning. Uh, thank you for being with us. It's a joy to have you uh, as we are celebrating, of course, uh, the saints, which we will get to that in just a moment, but also uh, one year as a church together. Uh, it's been uh, almost one year. It was on November 3rd, 2019. It was on All Saints Sunday last year that we had uh, the first service as All Souls Episcopal Church. So it is a blessing uh, to be here uh, with you all and that we're still on this journey together, given all that's happened uh, in the last few months. But we don't want to think about that any more than we already are. In the Apostles' Creed, which we're having a baptism this morning, praise God, and in a few moments during uh, the baptismal rite, we will confess that we believe in the communion of saints. Now, what is it? What, what does that mean? What are we confessing? What are the implications that there is this communion of saints? Well, first, we are confessing with our Lord in Matthew 22 that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. The communion of saints means that indeed, as Paul writes, neither death, nor life, nor height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It means that the mystical body of Christ, the church, is not torn asunder by death. Because Jesus Christ conquered death. The bodied and disembodied are brought together in the one body of Jesus Christ our Lord. And this being knit together in Christ, as the colleague said, a beautiful colleague this morning, this being knit together, is not just something uh, in the abstract, something cool to write on an essay in seminary. This is a sort of unity that we experienced, that we experience. For we are joined together, the, the living and the dead, in worship of Almighty God. Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify thy glorious name. The dead in Christ, particularly those made perfect, the ones we call the saints, are active in the life of the church and the church on earth. Those who ran the race exceedingly well are examples to us who are still running. We're still in the race. We don't see the finish line yet. Ho hopefully not. The faithful, the, the faith of the saints inspires the faithful, that's us, to increase in faith. Uh, this is what's going on in Hebrews chapter 11. 
uh, which is oftentimes called the Hall of Faith. And the writer of Hebrews, recounting the faith of Abel. Do you remember Abel, son of Adam, brother of Cain? He has this great line. He writes this, he says, And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. I love reading about the lives of the saints. There's a book which on the feast day of each saint, they'll tell you a little bit, uh, tell you a little something about their life, or it'll, they'll give an excerpt of something uh, they've written, and it's entitled, based on this uh, Hebrews chapter 11, it's called They Still Speak. And one thing I found is that meditating upon the lives of the saints down through history, realizing that in every age, even our own, there have been Christians of heroic faith and virtue, it protects us. It protects us against a sort of deism which purports that God was really, really active in Bible times, but not so much anymore. Christianity becomes reduced to uh, principles and precepts, rules for living. But that's not true. The God of the saints is our God. The same Holy Spirit that indwelt them indwells us. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We have that now today. St. Augustine famously said, he, he said a lot of famous and quotable things, but he said, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. The saints, they were just like us. They were those marred by sin and death who were in need of redemption and salvation and transformation. But we can forget that the converse is true. That we can become, in fact, we are called to become just like them. Those who desire above all else to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to be transformed into his likeness and long to see him face to face, which is the end for which you were created. The saints the dead in Christ made perfect, are active in the life of the church through their legacy, yes, through their worship of Almighty God, yes, and through prayer. The dead pray? Yes, the saints are active in the life of the church, and the heart of their activity is prayer. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They had cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So right here in Scripture, Revelation chapter 6, the martyrs who... Of course, dead. You don't, you don't get to be a martyr and be living. Are praying. They're petitioning Almighty God for justice and salvation. Now, 
This is risky on an anniversary Sunday. Some of you might be beginning to start, uh, maybe feel a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, the saints as exemplars, okay, great. Uh, Us joining the company of heaven in worship, check, you're on board. But now talking about the saints praying, we're getting dangerously close to the intercession of the saints. That those in heaven pray for us on earth, and that we, the living, can even ask them for prayer. Now, the, the Anglican church is, is interesting because you're going to find people with all different uh, views on this. And yes, there have been abuses with what we call the cult of the saints. I mean, cultivating communion with the saints can and has degenerated into a sort of idolatrous paganism. So you've got a problem in your life. You get out your Rolodex of saints, find the saint that, you know, handles that, and, you know, throw up a prayer problem solved. But I would submit to you that Anglicanism at its best, and as of late it's it's rarely at its best, but when it's at its best, It's able to listen to the critiques of the Protestant Reformation and not throw out the baby with the bathwater. An aberration of something or a perversion of something shouldn't keep us from pursuing it in the ideal. I mean, everything that's good, except God himself, everything can and has been perverted. So when we're talking about this idea of asking the saints for prayer, and and that's what people have done historically. People have used the language of praying to a saint. We don't pray to saints. It's it's asking them for intercession. So here's, maybe you can tell, I'm on on board with this when properly understood. But but let's just go through this. This will be fun. Calm down. Don't get nervous. Don't leave until after you eat. The food's going to be really good. The most common objection that I've heard with regard to the intercession of the saints is that we don't need to ask them for prayer because we can go straight to God, which is true. We can and should go straight to God. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions. I wish y'all could see Casey's face. Because, and I'm not trying to beat you over the head with this. I'm not trying to strong arm you. I just want you to think about it. I want you to understand the theological logic of the intercession of the saints when rightly understood. Just ask you some questions. Do you, have you, or do you ever ask other people to pray for you that, that are living? Okay, why? You can just go straight to God. Why are you asking them? Okay, question one. And when you really need prayer, when the stuff, and you know what stuff I'm talking about, when the stuff hits the fan, that stuff, what sort of person, what sort of people do you find and ask them to pray for you? Do you call up the guy who hasn't been to church in 20 years? Do you call up the gal who uh, only shows up on Christmas and Easter? I doubt it. No, you call up the godliest person you can think of. You call up those people that we call in the Baptist church, the prayer warriors. You know those people in your life that when they pray, it just seems like heaven and earth stop? 
and heaven opens up and God listens, things happen? And why do you ask those sort of people for prayer? Because it works. I mean, what what does James say? James chapter 5. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So if God is the God of the living, and if the living and the dead are knit together into one communion and fellowship, the church, and if one of the primary activities of the church is praying for one another, remember sermon a few weeks ago in 1 Thessalonians, Paul saying, I'm remembering you constantly before the Lord without ceasing, and he encourages them to do the same. So if the God is the God of the living, and if the living and dead are knit together in one communion and fellowship, and if we join the saints in worship, and if an integral part of the worshiping life of the church is remembering one another in prayer, if all those things are true, then what prevents us from asking the just souls of those made perfect to remember us in prayer? We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I find this encouraging that we have brothers and sisters in Christ whom we've never seen that love us and are praying for us. And because they have been made perfect, they're in the presence of Almighty God, their prayers are indeed powerful and effective. Did I convince you guys? Okay, there. So the communion of saints means that the dead in Christ made perfect are active in the life of the church as exemplars, as examples, that is, as worshipers and intercessors. And here's where things, things get off track. All of this activity of the church in heaven, the church triumphant, all of this activity is directed towards leading us to God to leading us to Jesus. This is, the, this is the logic. All this sermon is, is just in long form, the logic of Hebrews chapter 11 and 12. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us and run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto the saints and worshiping them instead of God. That's not what it says. It says, since we're surrounded with this cloud of witnesses, we look unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. We have been brought into this incredible mystery, which is the church. And we get to experience week by week and day by day, Jesus conquering of death. And we get to look to those who have gone before us in every age, who have had this heroic faith and virtue. And it's a way of saying, as as we celebrate all saints... Again, it comes back to Jesus that we say, God, do in us what you did in in them. May we love you 
like our brothers and sisters before us have loved you. May we follow you with all our heart. Brothers and sisters, on this All Saints Day, let us pray together. O God, who has brought us near to an innumerable company of angels and to the spirits of just men made perfect, grant us during our earthly pilgrimage to abide in their fellowship and in our heavenly country to become partakers of their joy through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.